Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Very excited to have you all join. I can't believe that it's actually already June. Um, School is wrapping up for a lot of students. You may not be in class, but classes themselves are wrapping up, which is great. Um, For the juniors out there, it is time to get started. So if you haven't really started, this is the month. Um, You can make some progress on your college applications, and I'm strongly encouraging that. Um, For today's show, we're going to do a listener Q&A, and we're going to focus on actually your admissions questions because um, we have a lot of those building up, and so we're going to try and see if we can tackle more of those in our Q&A segments today. But before we get to all of that, uh, one of the things that I think we hear a lot about here at College Coach and in general is just, you know, is my student even going to get into college? They're not straight A. They're not a straight A student. And so what we wanted to focus on today is college for the BC student. There are lots of students out there getting Bs, getting some Cs. Um, college is for those students. This is not, um, that doesn't mean you can't go to college. Um, And so very excited to welcome my colleague, Tova Tolman, to the show. Um, What I particularly love about Tova joining me for this segment is that she has worked at three very different institutions. She worked at Barnard, which is highly selective. She worked at Fordham, which is selective, and at Montclair State, which is not necessarily wouldn't be considered selective. So um, welcome to the show, Tova. Thanks, Beth. Happy to be here today. Great. So um, as we mentioned, those are three very different institutions. Um, And I would bet that even at the selective institution, Fordham, you saw plenty of students with Bs on their transcript and even the occasional C, and it didn't automatically disqualify them from, you know, getting accepted. So I guess um, maybe just your general thoughts about um, BC students and, and college admissions. Sure. I think you hit the nail on the head at the beginning with just the very fact that that is the average main college goer. If you have B's and C's, you too are probably college ready that uh, the majority of of students in our country who are going to college are not straight A students that maybe they have an occasional A, but that if you know, you look at your own high school and this is what I would uh, often laugh about with students. They think, oh gosh, you know, I'm really more of a B student. Surely I, I can't go to college. And I would ask them, do most students in your high school not go to college? Is, is that really the case? Oh no, we have an average of 85%, 90% go on to a four-year school. Well, do 90% of the students in your school have straight A's? Oh, no, I I guess not. (laughs) So recognizing that it can look like a lot of different things and that you're going to have plenty of options is probably the first place to begin. Right. And and one thing that you mentioned when we were preparing for this segment was um, where you find that out. You know, I I actually I'm, I'm sometimes amazed at the students that I work with who really 
they don't know how many students are in their senior class. Yeah. They don't really have any idea because a lot of schools these days don't rank. So they don't know a ranking and therefore they kind of have no perspective on what other students are getting beyond what they might be hearing from their friends. So where, what's a resource you can go to that your school will provide that can give you that perspective? Ah, great question. The school profile um, is a document that's usually sent from every high school to the colleges alongside the transcript. Uh, it is my friend because anytime I had to learn a new high school, understand what was offered at that school, what does an A look like at the school? How freely are they given out? What is sort of an average program in terms of rigor? That's what the document I would look like. I would look at. Uh, you can usually find it right forward facing on the guidance page or the college counseling page. If you just go to your high school's website, type into the search bar "school profile." Usually, you can find it as the first hit. If it, if you don't already even see it on the front page of the counseling section right. of the website. Right. And generally, schools are updating this every year because GPA trends uh, change from year to year. Right. So you might have one class that comes through with a lot of um, students getting really great grades. And then you might have another class comes through and it's fewer. So your position is going to also be relative to uh, your peers at your school. Right. So as a BC student, you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, well, I, I went on Big Future which is a resource that we often recommend that families check out. And it provides a lot of information about different colleges. And maybe you're looking at a school and they're saying that their average GPA is a 3.48. And you're thinking, okay, well, my GPA is more like a 2.9. Right. So how do you understand, you know, where you what that school is really admitting maybe or how those numbers might be not as accurate as you would imagine. They're not as accurate. They, they're probably based on something. They're not lying and making things up, but are they telling the full story? Right. Are they including a weighted GPA? Is that number that the school's advertising as the average for an admitted student reflecting PE and choir and, and uh, health? And are those numbers inflating what that average GPA is? And maybe you're comparing it to your unweighted, no extra points for the rigor of your courses, just your core academic courses, just that math, the science, foreign language, social studies, and English. So step one is finding out from the college. And it, it probably means asking the college directly themselves, what is that GPA that you've reported? What is that reflecting? Is that mm-hmm. just core courses? Is that just, uh, is that an unweighted or a weighted average? Basically, how many extra points are being shown for uh, weight and rigor for honors courses and AP courses? Because those are harder courses. And if you have a B average, straight Bs, maybe straight two nine is still kind of a B. That's it's a it's a low B, it's still above a B minus. And you let's say have all honors and AP courses. That's a lot different than a student who's taken straight basket weaving and maybe barely college prep courses and a whole lot of holes in their curriculum who has straight Bs. And keep that in mind as well. Yeah, and I think that's really important to note. And one of the things that I have seen since I started doing this work. When I worked at Penn, one of our goals when you addressed the audience was to try and capture every person in the audience because it could be that most of the students in the audience, you know, sort of had certain expectations of what Penn was going to be about. But just because you didn't have a 4.0 did not necessarily make you a bad candidate for us. And we sort of 
almost took pains to downplay a little just because you didn't want to kind of, I'm like, not scare anyone, but a little bit, right? And um, you didn't want that one person who would be great for you, but who might be like, well, I only have, you know, a three, five to automatically discount pen. I think that was kind of, that's kind of the best way to think about it. And I, but I think the reverse happens. So sometimes you go to schools. I remember a mom um, visiting, um, not to pick on University of Central Florida, but mom visited University of Central Florida with her daughter um, who was a B student. And she came back and she said, well, gosh, in that info session, they were saying that the average student they admit has an A average. And I, I just basically said, I could tell you for a fact that is definitely not true. And I think what they were trying to do, they were using that kind of inflated calculation that was not not real, but probably based on maybe they calculated their own GPA or did something like that. And what they were doing was trying to make themselves feel more attractive to the people in the room because they didn't want people to say, well, if the average person gets in with a B average, then maybe we want something that we feel is more reflective of brighter students or whatever it is. So everyone's kind of playing that game a little bit with some people kind of inflating and others trying to deflate a little bit. So you have to watch out for that um, a little. So where are the places that you would suggest students start who are BC students? Certainly there are lots of colleges where they do have expectations that you're going to be doing really well. So how do you get to the schools where they are going to welcome you with open arms and be perfectly happy with what you've been doing? Sure. And and there is some reality to that, as you said, you know, I, 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 I want to encourage every student, but we do a lot of talking on the show and, and at College Coach in general about the highly selective world. And I think it's fair to be honest and say, listen, if you really are, are mostly be some C's, no matter how rigorous of your course load, those 30, 40, 50 some schools we're often talking about probably are going to be out of reach from a just purely metrics, numeric perspective. So then, okay, how do you find those other schools? The step one is is looking outside those same 30, 40 schools you hear yes. people talking about all the time and recognizing there are 4,000 schools out there. So, okay, maybe it's fine to not be super focused on the same 40 schools everyone else is talking about. Uh, there are some great lists out there. One of my favorites is the Colleges That Change Lives. Uh, yes. focuses on a lot of smaller schools, though, but they change lives. Incredibly impactful, amazing outcomes. But if you're not as interested in maybe some of the small liberal arts colleges, the uh, A-plus colleges for B students is another great place to look, as it sounds. Uh, great schools for B students. Right. And I think st- some families might be surprised by some name recognition out there. In general, these days, if you're talking about a big state public flagship for your state, as in the go-to most uh, well, sort of, I don't say well, no, maybe the the flagship institution for your state might end up being out of reach if you're really more B's and C's than than A's. You can have, you can absolutely have some B's, but if you really, let's be honest, are on the low end of that B, approaching B minus C plus range, the flagship institution might be out of reach, but Chances are there are many other uh, other campuses in, in your state that you can look at outside the main branch that are going to be phenomenal, that might have opportunities for growth and, and reach to the main flagship as well and other avenues too. And those are just some places to start, just to give you an idea of schools that you maybe haven't already heard of. But the main 
theme here is look outside the same schools that you're hearing again and again and again, and instead focus on, gosh, what do I really want? What's going to be a good fit for me? Let me get away from what I know already and think about some other schools out there. Right, exactly. And I think your point's a good one about maybe the flagship is not going to be available to to you. And I think, how do you judge that? Well, does your school have an education system that really appeals not only to the people in state, but also out of state? Right. So, you know, the, the schools that come to mind immediately, Michigan, um, Wisconsin, Madison, all of the UCs, um, the schools in you know, maybe in, well, in North Carolina, you know, UNC Chapel Hill, University of Virginia, these are schools that are pulling students from all over the country and quite honestly, the world. Mm -hmm. But even, you know, you'll see some schools that you, like you said, you'll find name recognition and it could be your school's flagship, but, you know, University of South Carolina, I'm not sure that B's and C's are keeping you out. Um, I don't know that B's and C's are keeping you out of Michigan State, maybe not Michigan, and they may not keep you out of NC State. So if you can move beyond just that, those, like you say, you just have to move beyond the schools that everybody seems to want because somehow someone decided that those were the best schools right. out there, right? That's really kind of what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. Which usually ends up working out for your benefit anyway, because it's somewhat arbitrary. Why is that a good school for you anyway? Is that the right match. So if let's say it is, that was the dream, let's identify why, and now work on finding some other schools that are just like it, that share so many of the same attributes that aren't going to have that same level of selectivity in their admission process. Yes, absolutely. And so um, what about community college? So I, I would say the first thing I want to say here is that B's and C's, as hopefully you have taken away already, do not stop you from going right into a four-year institution. So that is not um, we're not suggesting community college because we think you can't get in anywhere else, no, right. but community college is an option. So sure. what are your thoughts about that? Yeah. And this can be a great option for a student who really had their heart set on their state flagship. Let's say, you know, let's pick on the UCs, for example, the university of California system. Let's see, let's say you have a student who just was dying to go to Berkeley for all the right reasons. They've really researched it well. They understand X, Y, and Z is why they would love to be at Berkeley. And they recognize, yeah, that's not going to happen with my 2.8, with my 2.5, with my 2.7. It's just right. not going to happen. But at a system like the, like the California uh, process, they are so encouraging of community college transfers. You go, you spend your first two years, you do well, you finish with your associates. All of a sudden, you're a very strong candidate at a place like UC Berkeley or UCLA, where coming straight out of high school, you might not have been. And like, like you said, this is not necessary. You absolutely can go straight to a four-year school, and that might be the better route for you. Uh, and that's certainly something we've talked about in the past in general about starting at a community college or not. But that can be a way to sort of make you a very attractive candidate at your state public institution. Not necessarily the case uh, if you are looking just to do a semester or a year, but if you're completing that full two-year track, finish the associates, strong grades, strong program, you could become a very attractive candidate at a four-year school that you might not otherwise have been directly out of high school. Right. And, and I think that's just great points, right? There are options for you if you want to do four-year, and then there might also be options for those students who are kind of late bloomers to um, really make a mark at the community college level and then um, and then transfer um, 
But I think important to know is particularly look for those uh, places where they have articulation agreements, where their goal is for community college students to transfer into four-year institutions, which is one of the missions in California. Um, other places, it might be a little bit more difficult. So you just want to check that out. Um, all right. Anything else? Any other message for RBC students out there? Just please, I beg of you, take away and remember, you are the average college goer. These students with the straight A's and five AP classes and perfect test scores are not. Those are the exceptions. Those are the star students. They are not the bread and butter of our college goers today. So please remember that you're doing great. You're showing mastery. You are a strong student. If you're B is satisfactory, better, right? Isn't it good? Yes. B is satisfactory. B is yes. good. Be, be, proud, of, be proud of your bees. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, all right, Tova, thank you so much for joining today. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be answering your questions. So don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I promised we would be answering listener questions when you, when you returned, and we are. What is a little different today is that instead of bouncing back and forth between finance and admissions, we're just really going to talk about admissions. We have a lot of questions we haven't been able to get to. Um, so Shannon Vasconcellos is joining me today, lovely Shannon, who has great insight into all things finance. And all she's really going to do today is read some questions. But um, for those of you who are wondering about her background, she's a former financial aid officer at both BU and Tufts. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Beth. And I will use none of that background today. You will get okay. none of my fantastic insight. <laughs> I'm sure that the, the listeners are very upset about that, but oh, they, they, they will be. survive. <laughs> they should be. <laughs> Alrighty. So I have the first question for you is from Lola that she submitted through our Facebook page. So folks, feel free to do that. If you do have questions for us, just send us a message on Facebook and we will try to get to as many as we can. And Lola's question is about world language. And she says, my son is a rising senior. He took both Latin and French in middle school. So he could choose either one in high school. He went for Latin in ninth grade, but for 10th grade, he had to change to French due to a scheduling conflict. And he took AP French in 11th. He has fulfilled the graduation requirement with one year of Latin and two years of French. 
However, if his goal is a highly selective college, and I think that's probably key, should he continue to take Latin or a new language in 12th grade so that he has four years of world language? Is taking four years of world language really important? He likes languages, but STEM is more of his interest and he would like to spend more time on those subjects in 12th grade. Thank you for your help. As always, love the podcast. Well, thank you for the support of the podcast. We appreciate that. Um, this is a little bit tricky, right? So what is what stands out for me about this is that there were a lot of things that I probably would have done differently. However, the student in question took AP French this year. And in general, what when you're looking at the most selective levels, our advice is that you stick with all five major subjects all four years and that you go to the highest level available in each of those four five subject areas. So math, science, English, history, and foreign language. So if all he had this year was French three or French four, and next year would be the AP level French, I would say you stick with the French and you take the AP French next year. However, because he's taken AP French, it does open things up a little bit. So it's less, it is, it's, in this situation, it's less about having the four years in the foreign language and more about the level that you've achieved in that foreign language. So for a lot of students, you take a foreign language in middle school and then you start at sort of the second level when you get to um, high school, right? So my son started in French in middle school. He took two years of French. And then when he got to high school, he started in French too. So they kind of spread it out a little bit. What it sounds like is either that your son is really strong in the foreign language or that they covered more ground in middle school than most students do. And therefore he was able to start at a higher level. Um, so my advice for in this specific situation would be focus less on, oh, he doesn't have the four years in a language and more on the fact that he achieved the AP level. And so in senior year, if there is an additional level in French beyond the AP level, I would take that. Um, if he has maxed out the French offerings at the school, what he might look to do in this situation then would be to double up in another area. So if he loves math or in science, maybe he does two higher level sciences or he does two higher level math classes next year. So those are also oppor opportunities for him. If there really isn't anything curriculum-wise that he can take and double up in another area, then I would say maybe do another year of Latin. I don't personally think it makes sense to add a third language into the mix. That becomes more of just like an also-ran. It's not going to be a particularly high-level course. Um, so at least he can show growth in the Latin area. But if he's maxed out the French curriculum and he can double up in another area, then that is probably what I would do in this specific situation. Perfect. And if he hadn't maxed out the French, if he hadn't taken AP yet, it would the advice would be to stick with French. That's exactly correct? right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Gotcha. All right. Our next question is about teacher recommendations. And this comes from Jonathan. Um, who should write the two recommendations that you might need to get for your college application? Is it the two who would write the strongest recommendations or is it crucial to have one from humanities and one from math and science for balance? Right. So this is one of those things that seems to persist as, in my opinion, a myth. 
Um, when I worked at Penn and when I traveled with my colleagues from Harvard and from Georgetown and from Duke, um, we all stress the same thing, which is your recommendation letters should come from those teachers who know you best and can write you a positive letter of recommendation. Doesn't mean it's the class that you got the A in necessarily. Um, and it certainly doesn't mean that it needs to be this arbitrary one from the humanities and one from math and math or science. I, that seems to just be a, a recurring thing. Now, might a school specify that? Absolutely. And in which case, if you are applying to a school where they have actively specified, we want one from the humanities and we want one from math and science, well then, there's your answer. But in general, um, you the recommendation letters, the important thing is that they be good. That's really your primary goal. Um, a couple of things I would stay away from you don't want to get two recommendation letters in the same subject area. That is generally not great, right? So two math teachers writing for you or two mm. science teachers writing for you or two English teachers writing for you. But if you have an English teacher and a history teacher, fine, totally fine. If you have a math teacher and a science teacher, also totally fine. If you happen to have a great relationship with someone in the humanities and someone in the STEM fields, Awesome. Then, you know, you can show a little bit, maybe more breadth, but mm -hmm. there is no, nothing to be gained by asking, by getting a kind of run of the mill or lukewarm recommendation letter and that under the false pretense that, well, but I have one from the humanities and I have one from the math and science. So always, always go for the best letters. That is my best advice. Perfect. And I think it, with a lot of these rumors, there tends to be like a little grain of yes. truth. And so like the advice not to get two English teachers, but then that gets blown out of proportion, expanded, don't get two from humanities. That's what tends exactly. to happen. With and, and actually, one thing that I probably should point out is if you're applying to engineering and your two recs come from humanities, it's a little questionable, right? Because that they're looking to better understand your choices and they want to understand your abilities in the areas that you want to study. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to select a particular area to study in, ideally your recommendation will support your ability to study in that area. So um, it may be something to think about if the only good letters you're going to get are going to come from, or the best letters are going to come from the humanities side and you are doing STEM, I don't know, unless, if you're not applying to a specific program like engineering, if you're just applying and you're gonna be a science major, maybe you just don't wanna select that on your application. Uh, maybe you just right. go in as undecided rather than introduce a question, well, she wants to major in chem and yet the recommendations are from an English teacher and a, and a history teacher, you've created a disconnect there. So remember that when you select a major on your application, all you're telling the school is, I think I might major in this. You are not actually selecting your major. You do that when you get to college. And at most colleges, you're going to have a couple of years before you need to select that major. So, of course, if you're applying to a specialized program like engineering or nursing or something else where you are required to apply as an entering freshman, and now you might have a little bit of a conundrum because your best letters might not be coming from those areas. And so that's something to think about. But um, otherwise, you know, be thoughtful about how it's going to appear on the college side when you make these choices. 
Right. You want that application to tell that consistent story. Exactly. Yes. Um, The next question comes from Laura. She says, good morning. I have seen two new questions added to the Common App, one for students and one for counselors. I know the student prompt is optional, but what are your thoughts about how students should use this prompt? It seems to lean towards students who have had a major shift, disruption, loss, setback during COVID. I think she quoted right from the question there. Um, Do you think that students who have not had any of these major negative shifts uh, can still use the prompt to talk about how they have spent this stay-at-home time? what they have learned and discovered about themselves or their family or their community, any new interests they've developed. Um, And actually I'll should just point out that we have a blog post as of this taping, the blog post is not out yet, but it is due to come out before this episode airs. So um, for added insight beyond what Beth is about to say, make sure that you do check out our blog. I'm sure she's going to cover everything, but just in case, check out the blog, which is at blog.getintocollege.com. And I think it is coming, it will have come out on um, May 29th. Um, But now Beth can actually answer the question. Sure. No pressure. Right. Um, I I think For starters, let's all acknowledge that this is new territory. There's always been a section on the common application for additional information. And there has always been angst about what do I put in there? If I have nothing to say, and my rule of thumb, and I feel very strongly about this, having read thousands of applications, if you have nothing to say in that area, do not put anything in that section. There is no harm in leaving it if you don't have anything. And this is the additional information section. And I feel similarly about this new COVID-19 question. If you discovered a brand new interest, if you did learn something about yourself, if you did have some kind of something important happen, by all means, answer that question. If you are racking your brain, if you are making things up, if you just don't really have anything to say, but you just don't want to leave it blank, please leave it blank. The, The things that we see students create when they really have nothing to say are not helpful and generally are going to detract. So if you want the If you want the person reading your application, if you are saying to them, I have something to share that I think is really valuable, it better be if you ask them to read it because they are literally going to read thousands and thousands of applications. And so it sounds like I'm almost saying don't write anything unless you have something serious. And I'm not actually saying that. What I'm saying is Certainly there will be students who do have something that they learned or some new, you know, if I was going to sit down and write an application today, I would say that I developed two new skills during COVID-19. I became a bread baker, which is something I'd always wanted to do and never made time for. And now I'm doing that and I really enjoy it. And so I might share like what I enjoy about it. I think it's valid and new information about me. And then I have some other thing that I'm about to try where I'm going to deep clean all of my laundry. I don't know if you guys have seen that going around on. Um, Instagram or Facebook, but I'll report back on that. I don't know if that's something that's going to be so impactful that it's going to make, it would make this essay for me. But the point is that I, I actually have something that immediately comes to mind that I think would be great here. If you really don't, if this was really just business as usual, you had school, there wasn't anything that was super exciting or different or unique about it. If you really actually didn't have time to develop any new interests, 
if for you it was awesome because it basically gave you a little bit more time to sit at home and read and you enjoy doing that. You know, I don't know that these are things that warrant an actual extra essay. So I would proceed with um, the idea that if you truly really don't have anything to add there, then leave it blank. It will not cost, it won't count against you if you leave it blank. If you add something and it's not that good or it doesn't really add anything, you know, is it going to hurt you? Probably not. I, a college admissions officers are aware that there is a fear of leaving things yeah. blank, but it won't necessarily get you anything. And for that reason, I would say don't don't try to create something just because there's this new question. Um, I'm interested to read the blog. I want to see what the blog writer has to say. Um, there is, again, there are no hard and fast rules about this stuff. Yeah. There are a lot of opinions, but, um, you know, I do feel pretty strongly if it's, if you don't have anything all that special to say, then I would just leave it blank. It's there for you to take advantage of, not for you to have to do something in that. Absolutely. Section. All right. We are going to take a really quick break. We have, I know, many more questions to get to. And so when we come back, we're going to get to those. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. We are answering your questions uh, today. We answered a bunch in the previous section or a couple because, as I was saying to Shannon in the break, I clearly can't... um, give a short answer to save my life. So anyway, let's jump right back in and see how many more we can get through. Definitely. You know too much, Beth. It's Uh, it's your fatal flaw. I don't know if it's that, but (laughs) okay. Uh, So the next question came in from another Facebook follower. It says, hello, college coach. We love your podcast. It is so helpful. So thank you for that. Um, I have a question about test optional rules. What if your student has major challenges with the ACT? but actually gets good AP test scores. Can you hold back ACT scores, but share AP scores? Is it all or nothing? It is not all or nothing. Um, obviously, each school may have their own different uh, policy about this, and it's possible that they might say, hey, if you don't want us to 
consider test scores. We're just not going to consider any of your test scores. Um, the AP scores never have to be officially reported. There's a place on the application where you can opt to report them. And I certainly would encourage that if the student is doing well in the APs. I don't think there's any harm in that. And there is absolutely no requirement that ACTs or SATs accompany those. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, there are actually a number of institutions, NYU comes to mind, that have what we call test flexible um, options, in which case you can submit, I don't actually know where they're at this particular year, but in the past it has been the ACT or the SAT or two subject tests or a couple of AP scores, right? So they're willing to consider whatever testing really works for you. Um, I love those test flex flexible policies. Of course, if you're someone for whom testing in general is not a strength, it doesn't work as well as full-on test optional, but um, I would say that unless specifically called out by the school, and it is a situation where you might actually have to call, I would be very comfortable not submitting ACT or SAT scores and submitting AP scores. So go for Perfect. it. Perfect. That one was pretty short and sweet. That was short. Great yes. job. Um, and this question came in through Instagram. So that's another avenue to reach out. You can DM us on Instagram. Um, but this follower says, I have a junior. Because of COVID-19, there's a lot of talk about current seniors, the class of 2020, taking a gap year. Does that impact admissions for juniors, the class of 2021? Will they be now competing for the same spots? Yeah, this is um, one of those questions that is now kind of bubbling up frequently. We're hearing mm -hmm. this a lot. Um, the, the answer, unfortunately, right now is that we don't fully know. What we do know is that not all colleges are allowing gap years. So just because students are talking about how they are going to take one, not all schools are saying, yes, you can. Right. So in that case, it may be that students have this school that they really want to go to and the school says, nope, you can't take a gap year. And they say, well, I don't really want to reapply. Um, I'm just going to go and I'm not going to take the gap year. And I guess I'm just going to deal with whatever comes at me. Um, then we do, it's possible that at those schools that some of those students might then fully decline the offer and be in the applicant pool next year. Um, I also think that what we might see is a decrease in the number of international students who want to come to the U.S. So there's a population that may opt not to apply. So they may not be in the applicant pool. I think the other thing that we are reading about, and this is more from a financial perspective, is that there are certainly students and families who had every intention of um, pursuing a four-year college this year who now have decided that they're not going to take that path at all right now. And maybe they're going to go the community college route. Maybe they're going to work for a year or two. Um, so there's certainly no guarantee that they will even end up in next year's applicant pool either. Um, I tend to think that if it's going to be an issue, it's going to be a greater issue that there, it, there may be fewer applicants than there have been in the past than that there are going to be more. Um, but again, we really don't know. We, not all colleges are being necessarily upfront. We do, I do know from some conversations we've been having that we're seeing some colleges actually pull students from the deny pile. So they've already gone through their wait list and now they're going to the denies. And we also know of at least one institution that is oversubscribed for the coming year, meaning too many students accepted their offer of, uh, of admission. So 
as with everything in college admissions, you really can't make a blanket statement. I do anticipate that it isn't going to get appreciably easier to get into the most selective schools. I think those are the places where people are the most willing to stretch and might be the most willing to say, well, you know, you're not going to allow me to defer. I'm going to go anyway, because at the end of these four years, I'm still going to have a degree from this institution. Um, And actually, one thing that I didn't mention is that um, at least one institution, Stanford, has said to their accepted student group, um, you can ask for a gap year deferral, but we require that you ask by June 15th. So they put a cap on not necessarily how many they will grant, but the date by which they are willing to grant it. So if you haven't asked for your deferral by June 15th, then you are going to either let go of your acceptance altogether, or you're going to enroll and start in the fall along with everybody else, regardless of what that looks like. Interesting. Do you have they said are they going to announce if classes are going to be in person or online by June 15th so people can make informed decisions about that? Yes, they are. They have, they have committed to announcing that beforehand. Um, but you know, a school like UMass here in our home state, um, I don't believe it's a new policy that's COVID related. I believe they had announced this previously, but they're not going to be accepting deferrals. Their policy is they don't do deferrals. So if you got in and now you're deciding that you aren't ready to go, you need another year, then their requirement is that you actually reapply in the coming year. Um, and that is actually at the state school level. I do think we might see uh, a surge in applications at those schools because of financial reasons and also because of a desire not to go too far from home. So there's going to be that piece to take into consideration as well in the coming year. Um, So I don't really think I answered your question, (laughs) but that's mostly because there isn't an answer right now. And the only thing we can promise is that as these pieces become clearer, we're going to let you know. Um, but also, if you really want to be applying to school next year and you're a junior, you're going to apply right. anyway, right? Right. So it's it, like we say, I think we say it all the time, we control what you can, which is putting your best foot forward on your application. Yes. The rest of it, you can't control it. Let it go. Exactly. Exactly. Um, good advice. Uh, so the next question comes in from Eddie, and he says, around this time last year, Apply Texas changed their essay topic. Uh, and Common App informed the applicants that the 1920 prompts would remain the same. When do you think we will get an update regarding these essay topic changes, if any? I want to get my current juniors as ready as possible. God, I love it. Eddie, I think you are a counselor and I love that you're tuning in. I think we do have a decent number of school counselors who join the podcast and I hope you find it valuable. And this is part of the reason we do this. Um, We want to support as many people as possible in achieving their higher ed goals. So I love that you're asking this question. I am going to apologize though, because I think you may have asked this question a few months ago. Um, and so by now you may be saying, well, I already know the answer to that, but just in case anyone out there doesn't, or in case Eddie, you haven't found the answer to it yet. Um, I think the three major big, um, and actually four, I would add the coalition to that as well. The big applications that are out there, the UC application, the apply Texas application, the common application, the coalition application have, I believed all come out and said, no changes. All the prompts from last year will be the prompts from this year. And so therefore, for anyone looking to work ahead or who is thinking about starting on their essays, you 
can absolutely, you could have been doing that and you certainly can continue to do that. Um, they are not getting rid of or changing those questions. Um, the one caveat I always want to throw out there is that there are schools who have additional essays that re they require, supplemental essays, uh, and some will let you know like, hey, it hasn't changed. So if you're on their mailing list, they may have already reached out and said, these are our questions for the coming year or these are our questions, they're the same as last year, or the, we're doing new questions and here they are. Um, but until they officially, you know, sort of make those available, it is a risky business to be answering supplemental questions from last year because they might change. You kind of don't know. So usually they are going to let you know no later than August. My hope is that this year, given everything that's going on, that they will either decide just like, we're going to stick with what we have, or if they change it, that they are doing it now and making everyone available. Um, I realize that I'm sure if you're listening and you're from a college, you're saying, well, isn't that really nice and easy for you to say? And I totally appreciate <laughs> that. But from a student perspective, it would be really excellent if those were out as soon as possible. Right. Because it is a great time while you're stuck at home to get an early start on those essays for sure. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, our next question is another foreign language one, um, I think from May. And she says, my son is a high school freshman who would like to take Spanish online at our local community college over the summer instead of through his high school. His high school has 85 minute blocks, so it's difficult to fit in courses he has a passion for or elective. How would selective colleges view this alternate path for foreign language? He has one year of Spanish done from middle school and could take Spanish 102, 201, and 202 through the local community college over his three summers left in high school. The high school foreign language department will not approve it, stating their courses are more rigorous. Not sure if this is a concern for maintaining students in their classes or an actual fact. He does not need more high school Florida credits for graduation. So our guidance counselor said he could still go ahead with the community college classes, although they would not appear on his high school transcript. Wondering if he should reach out to some admissions offices at colleges he would be applying to someday for advice, or if your experts have an opinion on this issue. Right. I do have an opinion on this issue. Did Can you, it was a long question. Did she specify the schools? Were they highly selective or did she not specify? Uh, she says, how would selective colleges okay. view this alternate path for right. foreign language? So in general, selective colleges would not love it. Um, mm -hmm. The What the school is saying is in essence how it is perceived in admissions and is generally, I think, true, which is that taking the foreign language outside of the school is, is usually not as rigorous as taking it in the school. Um, if it was a more traditional foreign language path, you know, sort of, it was, um, I think she specified it was online. Was it online at the community college? Community or, college. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So an online community college class is not going to be perceived as having the same level of rigor as the class that your son could take in the high school. And um, the other thing that concerns me about it is if he's looking at the selectives, and this goes back to the very first question I answered, yeah. he will only ultimately have three years of this in high school um, and not four. And if he took it yeah. during the school year, he would have four years and that would be perceived again as a better thing. So um, you mentioned that it doesn't leave as much time for subjects he has a passion for 
and electives. And so here is where, unfortunately, this isn't really the time or the place to necessarily focus on only the things that you really are most interested in. Um, again, math, science, English, history, and foreign language should be the priority and should be the priority for all four years of school. And so if it was a situation where he had um, math, science, English, history, and they just literally couldn't fit the Spanish in, then yes, you could look at the online option and ask the counselor to note in the letter of support that he wanted to take it at the school, but it literally couldn't fit. But if you are opting for some kind of elective that isn't one of those four or five cores, um, and it's maybe even doubling up on one of the other cores, that is not going to be ideal. And I would say look to take those pieces outside of the school rather than taking a core outside of the school. So my advice would be, you know, certainly he could call some of the colleges. I'm not sure they're always as helpful here. You know, they might say, oh, yeah, that's probably fine. But when push comes to shove and he actually is applying and he's up against a bunch of students who did all of the courses in their high school, um, it, it isn't necessarily going to be great. And so for that reason, um, I would say I would really try and take it in the school if you can. So unfortunately, I think those are all the questions we have time for today, Shannon. Thank you so much for being here to basically just feed me questions. I appreciate it. You are so welcome. I like putting you on the hot seat. All right. It is, it's kind of fun. I don't mind being there. Um, <laughs> All right, so thank you to Shannon and to Tova, um, my other guest today. Um, next week, Ian is hosting. This is not all flawless people. Um, and he's gonna be talking about what do you do if your summer plans were canceled, if they changed. Um, we're also gonna be talking about PSAT scores and scholarships, and also how we, how an independent counselor can help as you go through this college process this year in particular, because it is filled with a lot of big question marks that we haven't had in the past. Um, if you have questions, as Shannon noted, you can post them on our Facebook page, um, but you can also send them to us, gettingin.voiceamerica.gmail.com. Um, I'm on Instagram. Shannon runs our Instagram page and posts far more frequently than I do. One of these days, I'm going to get into a groove, but I am on there. Um, so follow me. Uh, we're at, at College Coach BH, but also at Elizabeth Heaton 92. Uh, and you can also check out our new website, www.getintocollege.com and our blog, uh, getintocollege.com. I'm sorry, blog.getintocollege.com. And don't forget, we are here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.